Ding, 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 ding. Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of The podcast in which a group of The podcast in which a group of B-Side. Hello, and welcome back to B-Side. I'm Tom, and today we'll be discussing the Icelandic movie from 2015, Rams. This was directed by Germar Harkon Arsen. I hope I'm pronouncing that correct, though I'm incredibly doubtful I am. I want to talk about the film as a tragedy and look at this idea of the high and low tragic figures and how that factors into this picture. Because my reading of this picture is that it's a sort of ironic tragedy in a way. It's a cultural tragedy, but it's also marked with these strange little little ironies. Um, and I would like to look into that a little more in this B-side. So if we look at the, the critic George uh, Kimmelman's definition of tragedy, it is the book, play, what have you, which features the struggling protagonist who puts his will against God, nature, society, or the destructive impulses. Uh, this is combined with the moment of exaltation in which the struggling protagonist undergoes a heroic deed and is destroyed in doing that deed. Lastly, the hero needs to invoke pity from the audience. Glyn Wickham, another critic, sees Shakespearean tragedy as including all of those factors that we saw from Kimmelman, but also including something like a post-death social contract in order to prevent the evil that contributed to the tragedy from arising again. So that, that's a little confusing, a lot more confusing than Kimmelman, but I think I can explain it. So if we look at Shakespeare's most famous play, this is probably Hamlet. I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm just going to assume it's his most famous play. I, I think it is, though. And in Hamlet, all of our sympathetic characters are killed, for the most part. Horatio lives, but everyone else dies. But also all of the non-sympathetic characters die, such as the evil king, who Polonius, who has set in motion uh, the killing of his brother in order to take the kingdom. What we see at the end is... Everyone is killed, and then Fordenbras, a foreign king, comes in and takes the throne of Denmark. Here, there's this sort of post-death social contract in which Fordenbras comes in and uh, declares that a sympathetic and morally healthy reign will be in charge of the kingdom, that the kingdom will, will transform into this healthy state now that the evil has been expunged from it. Granted, the, the good has also been expunged from it, but not all of the good. There's a sort of remainder that stays behind and puts in place this new social contract, which allows good to flourish in a state. So this is that kind of edit that Wickham makes of the definition of tragedy. All right? And so we could see generally what tragedy is in a classic sense. Both Wickham and Kimmelman are looking at classic tragedy. So we're looking at Greek tragedy or Shakespearean, Elizabethan tragedy. Now, the Canadian critic Northrop Fry 
also looks at tragedy, and he is looking at it through this kind of archetypal, critical lens. Um, his most famous work is Anatomy of Criticism, which is really a collection of four essays, which traces uh, these archetypal developments through the course of literature and its history. So Fry, in one of these essays, traces the hero through these various stages. And two stages of the hero are what he calls the high mimetic figure, or the high mimetic hero, and the low mimetic figure, or the low mimetic hero. Now, this is also within the context of a number of other types of heroic figures. So we'd have a kind of like more, more like a godly figure. Um, we have people lower than this. But for the purposes of this B-side, instead of scaling the ranges of things that um, that Northrop Fry talks about, since he is a, uh, a critic who includes a lot of different works in his in his analysis, I want to focus in really on the high and the low mimetic figures. So who are these people? The, the high mimetic figure is someone who is not superior to nature, but is superior to others around him. So we could think of, let's say, Beowulf. Beowulf, the great Anglo-Saxon poem, the hero of that is the title character, is Beowulf, Beowulf is superior to nature. He can swim underwater for a very long period of time. He can fight giant monsters that kill dozens of men butt naked. He is superior to nature. Hamlet, again, the most famous Shakespeare play, as I declare it to be, he is not superior to nature. Hamlet is one of us. Well, let me edit that. He's not one of us. Physically, he's one of us, but he is more intelligent than us. He's more appealing than us. He's more charismatic than us. He is above us in some kind of way, and his royal status reflects that. So that's the, the high mimetic figure. The low mimetic figure is the everyman, but it's the everyman who takes center stage, takes center stage for the period of the tragedy be it play, book, film, whatever. This figure, this low mimetic, tragic figure, Fry tells us, subverts the traditional sense of the tragedy centering on these great people, these kind of princely people, these extremely charismatic people. Yes, they don't need to be supernatural, but they are sort of still higher than us in stature. The low mimetic figure is someone who challenges this sense, who challenges this tradition that derives from the classical world. The low mimetic figure we might think of as Willie Loman from uh, Death of a Salesman, the Arthur Miller play. This is the example that Fry himself uses. Willie Loman is in the center of a tragedy, a kind of classically constructed tragedy, but Willie Loman is a kind of working stiff. He's a salesman, as the title implies, and he isn't in any way particularly amazing, right? He's not Hamlet. He's not the warm center of the world. He is only the warm center of this particular presentation, namely that play. 
right? And, and a lot of the play is actually about how Willie Loman and his, and his children are not remarkable. It's sort of a theme in the play. And so it becomes a great example, I think this is why Fry uses it, of how the low mimetic figure, the everyman, when put in the center of a tragedy, can still take on what we might call the responsibilities of the tragedy, but he is challenging that. Because up to this point, we have thought, we, we think of the tragedy as only being supported by someone who's kind of greater than us, someone who's above us, the great people of society. Now, of course, in our own day, and especially now that we have an America, and America is the cultural center, and America is also a classless society, these low mimetic figures are all over the place. They're more and more common, um, and they they actually become their own tradition, I would say. I would say that tragedies featuring people who are recognizable to us, the kind of every men and every women of the world, are far more common nowadays than than anything else, right? Than tragedies about about rich people or tragedies about certainly about princes. We don't really <laughs> do that very often in America. However, that is because the low mimetic figure challenged a tradition and then the tradition changed, right? It it's a break with that old tradition and then maybe an edit or a realignment of the values that the tragic genre embodies. And it's interesting in America, this kind of low mimetic figure very often affirms a traditional zeitgeist. Now, coming to the film Rams, what we see here is that we have the brothers, and the brothers are not speaking. They haven't been speaking for 40 years. And one brother is able to preserve some of his flock even after a disease comes and ravages the rest of them. The disease kills all of the, the rams and the sheep in this area. It doesn't kill them directly, it, it infects them, and then they have to be put down by either the farmers or the veterinarian services in Iceland. And this, this one herder, he's preserving a very small portion of his flock in his basically in his cellar and he sort of doesn't let anybody in his house because he wants to keep them these sheep alive and if anybody comes in and catches him it it will endanger them the, the veterinary services will come in and kill them we learn early on before the disease comes during a contest of the rams that the brothers are uh, in charge of or owners of a great lineage of rams, the children of Loki and Strutel from Bolstad. And I, I don't know who Loki and Strula from Bolstad are, but this is something we see within the community is appreciated. These are the children of quote-unquote royalty. This is the lineage that matters in this community. It is a highly traditional community in the sense that it replicates the past in the present. It's constantly remaking the past. Very little changes are there. I mean, they're, they're using more modern equipment. They use tractors and, and, and what have you. But there's still really 
herding sheep in the way their their forefathers have and even our brothers um and even our brothers are taking care of the same genealogy right and what ends up happening is the brothers get caught obviously and they in order to save the sheep and the ram from being executed they take them into the hills during an ice storm the storm is is terrible and it looks like the brothers will die at least one brother looks like he's succumbed to hypothermia and the other brother kind of digs out an igloo and and brings him in there to try and warm him up and that's when the movie ends and it does seem to indicate that the one brother has died now in this moment the brothers also reconcile and so there is a there's a peace that is able to be found at the end of this picture but it is still a tragedy and the sheep and ram we don't know what happens to them they wander into the hills and and we don't see them again and it's a very very fierce storm so it's it's possible that they're killed there's a number of really cool things that are going on here first of all the figures who die gumi the, the the man who dies not the figures but the the character who dies or i'm supposing dies he really is a low mimetic figure he is a sheep herder there's nothing overly special about him um other than he's particularly sympathetic uh but he is much closer to willie loman than he is to hamlet right and what we see is that with with gumi with his death his life and death are connected to the culture of this community, the culture of this remote Icelandic community that is now exterminated because of this disease and the actions the, the veterinary services have had to take in order to stop the disease from spreading or, or eradicate it entirely. And so Gumi ends up becoming a sort of stand-in for this community and the culture and the tradition of it. And so the tragedy, the thing that's wiped out, is not just this this man who we care deeply about, if we're following the movie, that is, but also this entire way of life. And the the sort of positive social contract, ironically enough, is there, the, the post-death social contract that... Um, Glenn Wickham mentioned, or I mentioned Glenn Wickham mentioning earlier in this podcast, that's there because the the evil of the brothers' feud, 40-year feud, is now eradicated with Gumi's death. The brothers are able to come together and are able to, to heal that rift, even as Gumi dies, right? And they are able to heal the rift because both brothers care about preserving the lineage of the rams and the sheep. They care about that tradition. And even though they, they are fighting and we don't know why they're fighting, when it's revealed that Gumi is hiding the sheep, that he's preserved this lineage, the other brother comes to him and helps him preserve it. And so it is the, it is the tradition, it's the kind of conserving of this local way of life that heals this rift even as it witnesses the tragedy that destroys it. The irony undergirding this, I think, is the fact that the, the royal figures, so to speak, are the rams, the, the sheep. 
the they are the ones who have the genealogy that matters, which is what a, a prince or a king or a queen or a princess or what have you, a royal figure is. A royal figure is someone whose genealogy gives them value, right? It is that which allows them to stand out. And in a great tragedy, a classic tragedy, not only are they royal figures literally, they're royal figures um, poetically. They know how to speak in a way that's more articulate than anyone else. They're more charismatic, etc. The high mimetic characteristics that Northrop Fry mentioned. This is now not not the articulation or the charisma, but the, the lineage, the marks of those things are in the ram, right? The, the ram is the embody, embodiment of that genealogy. He's the last of his kind. And in the end of this film, the tragedy of the low mimetic figures is also occurring next to the the tragedy of the destruction of this genealogy of these these rams and these sheep and so all of it sort of collapses at the same time and as it does is a little bit of that positive social contract that remains um, and i'm interested in what people make of this is there a kind of winter of irony that this this movie ends on uh, in which the the evil that has destroyed has destroyed so much and the social positive remainder is so little that the fact of the social positive remainder is also um is also evidence of how much is lost and how this cannot be recovered, right? Because when Fordenbras comes in at the end of Hamlet, he is going to reestablish this moral society. So Denmark is not going into the ocean. It's going to be fine. Fordenbras is in charge. Yay, Fordenbras. But here, this way of life is gone. The people who lost their sheep, yes, they could get more sheep, but a lot of them are just leaving. It's just not worth it anymore. And so I wonder at the end of this movie is what we're seeing is not really a low mimetic version of a classic tragedy, but an ironic version of a classic tragedy in which the standard of having a little bit of good left over to reestablish the, the moral society, if we're seeing that, but that is so small and so slight that it makes the work all the more tragic. This has been B-Side. Thanks.